If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. I am rejoined by a previous guest. Now, Dr. Shannon Gregor. I'll dig into a little bit more about Shannon here in a second. I'm going to pause, quickly hit the sponsors, and then we're going to jump right into the podcast. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So Shannon was a guest while you were still a mm -hmm. student. So now we were just joking before we clicked record. It is weird hearing like, hey, I'm a doctor now. Um, you've yeah. worked a long time. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago, I think now. I was still a little baby student. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of interesting. So you're an associate now working small animal in the Northeast, which is kind of more back home. And if you want more of your backstory, it was episode 70. So this will be episode, oh, shoot, I should have looked. It's going to be in the 150s, so it's been a minute since it happened, which I didn't realize it was that long ago because it doesn't feel that long ago that we recorded. And so if you want, it'll be a little bit of a continuation of that because you kind of highlight it at the end of like, hey, I'm excited to be a doctor and I want to be an owner and like this is what the future is. And now we can kind of chat through that where I think episode 150 is what started this, is, which was all about ownership. And you had pinged in the Facebook group like, hey. I want to talk about this. I'm super excited. I want to be an owner quickly. Like, let's chat. And so I said, hey, you want to come on and just have an open forum of talking about ideas, going back and forth and just kind of exploring what's top of mind for you. And so I think it'll be a fun conversation. It's unstructured. We have no, for anyone listening, there's no like agenda. Um, yeah. <laughs> we really, I had like one question and then we're like, we're just yep. going to go with it. But I just want to say thanks. I appreciate you being willing to come on and chat on this. And I think there's a lot to learn. And it doesn't matter if someone's like, oh, well, I wouldn't do it that way. That's great. Right, do it your exactly. own way, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is a way where I think there's a lot more 
individuality, an ability to be creative and be more entrepreneurial in vet med than there's been in years past. So with that, I think the best spot to kick it off is let's kind of lay the vision, aspirations, foundation of like ultimately dream mm-hmm. scenario. You can get to PM owner. What does that look like? And then maybe we go in depth from there. Yeah. I mean, dream scenario. Oh gosh. It would be quite a large facility. I'm thinking five to 10,000 square feet of clinic space in the building. I've always wanted one of those entrances that, you know, at the hotels, you have like a little area that you can get out and not get in the rain. So like for emergencies or urgent stuff, they can just pull up to the door and we can come get them. And the pet doesn't even have to be in the elements outside. You walk into a wonderfully open concept front desk area and waiting area that is pleasantly relaxing because going to the veterinarian is usually very stressful for clients and their pets. So we have a separate entrance for feline patients and we have a separate entrance for canines. And there's like pheromone sprays that get released almost like the uh, Nikki candle room sprays or the Bath and Body Works room sprays that'll go off every so often. (laughs) Nice relaxing colors, calming environment. And then you get to go to the appointment. There's going to be an appointment wing. There's going to be a surgery wing. And there can be a little off to the side area of my clinic that's actually for your clients to go basically just hang out and relax and have a coffee or probably just mocktails. I don't know if I want to put alcohol near my clinic, but it will be like some sort of like mixology slash coffee bar that has a nice place for people to either do their work if they work from home or just to keep their attention while their pet is in the clinic if it's something that they're going to pick up same day and they'd like to wait. Upstairs is going to be my doctor's offices and a spacious break room for everyone to have their own space and lockers for everybody to keep extra clothes or whatever they might need. And there's also going to be a, almost like a nursery upstairs that's going to be attended by either a CNA or a nursing student or a nurse that cares for my employees' children that are not of school age or cannot go to school at that time. So that's something I think that I really wanted to add to my clinic that I haven't seen anyone else do yet is because the female gender makes up most of the veterinarian population and no one really quite makes it possible to really have a family and have a good career and not have to worry about them. So if you have little kids and you want to go back to work or work part-time, like there's someone there that's paid for by the clinic to basically be your childcare. And that's a huge expense that I hear not only from doctors, but from a lot of technicians is, you know, basically they work most of the month just to pay for childcare, which my jaw was on the floor. I, I couldn't believe that it was that expensive. So kind of lifting that off of my partners, they're all going to be partners backs, that big expense and that big stress of the, having the family and not having somewhere for them to go would be amazing. Yeah. I think that's a good place to start. And so I'm not the dream crusher. I'm always going to challenge. I'd be like, okay, so this sounds great. So how do you afford all this? But before I do, ideally from a team perspective, sounds like maybe multiple doctors, right? The team from a service type of situation, how would you want to structure Like, what is the offering? How do people think about the clinic itself? What do you do 
for them, right? Like, is it, hey, we're GP, we're broad, are we very niche? We specialize, do we do large animal? Like, what all are you doing versus not mm. doing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a need for basically everything, but um, you have to start somewhere. So I'm thinking of starting maybe urgent care with a little ER in it. And then once you build up a reputation and a clientele to open to general practice, and then depending on how fast that grows to either have like rotating specialists that want to come in on their schedule and you can offer their services as they're available or to have them fully on staff, however that might work out. But I think picking one area and building that first and seeing how that expansion would go. I don't want to do too many things at the same time when you just open. I think it would be a little confusing or a little too much uh, upfront cost in order to make that work. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think go execute and do one thing really, really well and then see from there. And I know right now, anyone that's an owner listening, it's like, hey, that sounds great. How are you going to staff it? Because staffing is so difficult. And I've had conversations around you know, staffing in the past. But when you think about those kind of challenges and being the one that is responsible for those people, how do you think about staffing or attracting people? Like, how do you think that you can make a claim that, hey, we are different? Although I do agree, like the nursery piece, especially with kids, like that is one of those benefits that's different. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a big draw for sure when people don't have to pay for outside childcare. But I think, you know, everyone says, oh, we're different. We're different. And you have to work there for a few months to actually figure that out if it's the truth or not. So just being able to pay what they're worth, you know, being able to pay a good living wage and more than the average that veterinary technicians and assistants are getting in the area, encouraging them to get their CVT or to get an internal medicine specialty as a technician or surgery specialty or however they want to grow in their career, actually have some ways for them to do a career advancement even sending them to that master's program at Long Island University, I think that they just released as um, a master's in veterinary technology. I'm not quite sure what the title of the program is, but I know it's trying to bridge the gap between technician and veterinarian to kind of make a nurse practitioner role of some sort and to just really utilize my technicians and have it be a more technician-based approach where you know, the doctor's there to diagnose, prescribe, and do surgery, right? So anything that we can utilize our technicians and elevate them and give them more responsibilities and things that they can do in the clinic where I don't have to necessarily do it myself, then that's fantastic. We can see a lot more people. We can have less doctors than clinics do now to see the same volume of patients, depending on what the laws are in the state that you want to own and operate in. You know, it's all dependent on what you can actually do. But I think having it be very focused on the technicians and really utilizing them to their full potential would take a lot of strain off of the doctors. And I think that would really pull technicians to want to work there because then they see some advancement. They see that they can do more here. They see that they can take on more with the clients or, you know, do a specialty that they want to do and really be able to fulfill their career as a veterinary technician at that clinic. Yeah. And I would imagine as well, like you can pay them a little bit more if they're taking on more roles and responsibilities, which I know a lot of people have made the analogy and said, Hey, go look at, you know, dental hygiene, go look at 
other places and they make significantly more money where you can be in that role and work four days a week and have like the ability to actually pay all your bills and have a little leftover mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I think that's the model to go pursue. And so trying to design that and learn, and maybe it is having a conversation with your local dentist and be like, Hey, let me learn a little bit more about this. Let me have conversation and figure out the best way mm-hmm. to structure it. And so I'm assuming this would be a, a startup mm-hmm. and we've already kind of made that claim. I just want to make yes. that clear for, yes, for listeners. Only. <laughs> so yeah, versus going and buying something, mm-hmm. right? And I made the joke, I was talking to something the other night and it was the cruise ship. Like you're gonna have to turn this thing over like three to five years to get it to where you want to go versus if you do a startup, you can kind of dictate a lot of that stuff from day one and say, this is how we're going to do it. When you think about the team itself, again, you obviously don't know who is going to be there, but I think the idea of like culture and communication and family and all those things that people talk about that you think about, like if you had to think of, I don't know, three or four core things that you would describe that signify what it is that you're going to build, are there any words that come to mind? Are there any things that you would think about to say, yeah, that to me is the important piece and that's what's going to make us go? I think your ego gets dropped outside the door. Okay. Everybody makes mistakes and everyone can learn from one another. And I think it's important to remember that and to be able to help each other and not just immediately drag someone down because they didn't do something exactly right. Like why didn't they know what is the issue in the system? Like have a value that really focuses on, well, if they didn't do it right the first time, what are they missing? Are we not providing to this employee that their response to the situation isn't what we wanted? So communication, I think, is really big. Having a team that is able to really talk to one another and be willing to ask questions and ask for help. Because I'd rather someone ask for help and say, I've only done this once before, or I haven't really done this before, or I've only watched other people do it. Can you walk me through it? Or can you show me? Can I do it with you? I think that's all really huge because even though you go to school for these things, real world experience is still on another level. I say that coming from a a new grad veterinarian, real world experience is nothing like school. As much as they try to prepare you, it's still another experience. I think being able to give constructive criticism and have an opinion in the clinic where they can bring concerns or say, hey, what if we tried this? You know, like an open forum environment that everyone can weigh in on how the clinic is going and what they see, like maybe not working quite right because I can't see everything. You know, I don't want to see everything going on all the time. Sure. So being able to trust your team to really tell you what is and isn't working and how we can make it better for them or for the clients or for the patients. It just makes it easier on everyone. One of the things like dropping the ego to me, you're not going to know everything regardless of how long you've been to school, how long you've been in practice. Like there's always going to be things that come up and you're like, shoot. Yeah, that's tough. And at the end of the day, if you're the owner, it stops Mm -hmm. with you, right? If someone wasn't trained well, that's your problem, not their problem. And I think Jocko Wilnick, the Navy SEAL and does like podcast and has a book called Extreme Ownership, like that really points to that where what did I not do? Instead of being like, I'm mad at you, Shannon, for messing up because I've told you this X amount of times. Hey, you know what? I obviously didn't communicate well. I didn't train that person well enough. I didn't train Shannon. I didn't explain it well. She didn't listen. She didn't hear because I failed. Not her fault, my fault. 
And that reframe, I think, can be powerful where at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. Fix it. It's your problem. And if you allow people to understand that, it's not that you're going to give them an out, but it is saying like it is your responsibility. And if someone's willing to say, oh, I get it that she's willing to like really dig in and work hard and not try to yell and scream at me and make the scene right in our team meetings, but say, you know what? I'll fix that. That's on me. It goes a long way. And I think people respect that. And we talked about staffing and stuff too. Like you find the right people, you want to retain them, especially right now. It's so hard. And I'm going to imagine it's probably going to be difficult when you start your practice too, right? Finding good talent. And I think that's always the limiting factor for businesses because you can't do everything. You're not superwoman as much as, or Superman for me, right? We might think that, Hey, we're really good at our jobs. And I think we both probably are really good at our jobs, but it's hard to do everything and you can't. So you have to find people that compliment you. And I was at the SEPS programming. And if people remember back a couple episodes ago, I had interviewed Misty and Stacy and Kelly, you know, it's sustainability and equine practitioners seminar, but they do a disc profile, right? And so they talk about it. And so people understand and disc is just that ability of like, what's your personality traits? So there's like high D is like the domineering and kind of like aggressive forward. I is more the social intellectual, like, or not intellectual, but like emotional intelligence, kind of like, I want to make sure that people like me. And then you have the S's and the C's. C's are like super oriented with like, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. It's very calculated and everything has to be like numbers based where the S's are, I want to do my own thing. I want it to be very structured, like checklist, checklist, checklist type thing. And I'm oversimplifying this and they probably smack me um, (laughs) because it's not (laughs) perfect. But like understanding the makeup Mm -hmm. of your team and how to best communicate with them too, because we may learn one way, they may learn a different way. So you need to make sure that however you're training or instructing people that you get some of that information out of the way. And I think understanding disc or Colby or, you know, these different kind of exams on an individual level, as people come in the door, as you're hiring them, helps you to be better at communicating, to be better at making sure that constructive criticism comes across the right way. So it's not like I'm yelling at you and I'm mad, but I'm here to support you. And this is how I will give you feedback. One person might need the, Hey, I need a hug. And that's great. The other person might need the challenge of like, Hey, here's a kick in the pants, go do better. But if you do that in the reverse order, that's going to be like really not not, not pretty. (laughs) And then the other thing I wanted to ask, which is a little outside of that was you talked about, you know, with school, right? They can't prepare you for what it is as you are out in practice. Has there been anything that stuck out? I know it's still, you know, fairly recent, but is there anything that sticks out that you would say, wow, this is very, very different than what I would have thought, or I've learned something Yeah, well, about myself or the clinic? Well, I guess kind of it revolves around a case I actually had either beginning of this week or end of last week. I had a five-year-old female intact Great Dane come in the clinic for not being able to keep water or food down very quiet. You know, I had never seen this dog before, but per the owners, she was just very quiet, not retching or painful, just very like eerily quiet. And so she was a little bloated on exam and I was like, well, we have to see what's going on inside. So let's take some x-rays and do some blood work. Blood work just showed a little bit of dehydration overall, nothing really crazy. And then we took the x-rays And I had never seen anything like this before. It wasn't a GDV. It wasn't a PIO. Shocking, I know. I was actually expecting that, but it wasn't. It was actually a colonic torsion in this Great Dane, which never happens. That's like a horse problem. (laughs) All my horse vets listening know that they love to twist their colon around. 
that doesn't happen usually in Great Danes. And I was unsure about it at first. And I was staring at this x-ray, staring at it, staring at it. I'm like, okay, I know it's not a GDV because there's no Popeye arm. I know it's not a Pio. So the only thing left that's that caudal in the abdomen has to be a colon. And this dog needs surgery. And I was the only doctor there at the time. So I was texting my colleagues and no one was answering right away. And these people were waiting for an answer. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go in and tell these people exactly what I think is going on and that they need to be referred for surgery. And I went and did that. And then they went off. We called like eight different places to get this dog surgery. And when they finally went, the surgeon did an exploratory and I was right. I had a colon uh, torsion volvulus. And I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy because I didn't have anyone to confirm it right away with me. And I was super nervous about giving that diagnosis of something that I had never seen before in a dog that I knew needed surgery one way or the other, whether I was wrong or right. So I think just trusting yourself on what you have seen before and ruling out all the things that I do know and saying that there's nothing left other than this diagnosis and just being able to trust yourself that you ruled out everything else and that you know this dog needs somebody else to go fix it. That was a huge win for me. I was so excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats. Again, people listening, no terminology. Isaiah hears terminology and goes, <laughs> uh, hopefully I don't have to ask any follow-ups no, on no, that. No. Uh, <laughs> it's outside of my uh, scope of knowledge, but yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you broke it down a little bit for me where I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that idea of, and I think that's a great lesson to like retain and learn. Like when you hire a new young doctor to be like, Hey, here's a really good story of when I was newer to the profession and what happened. And the example of it's okay to be wrong. And Hey, this situation, I got it right. But I'm sure there'll be times where it goes wrong and you can give it an example there too, but to encourage them to say, you did get, you're highly trained. You know what you're doing. I trust you. I hired you for a reason. Go out and do your best work. And I'm going to be here to support you and defend you and do what I need to because I wouldn't hire you if you weren't good at your job. And I think telling people that, hey, I appreciate you. And I do that a lot. Like I had a call earlier with someone that's just a peer in the industry. I'd never talked to him before. We connected on Twitter, chatted. And at the end, I was like, hey, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Like, this is great. That makes a big difference. And I think it's not said enough that if you do appreciate the people that you get to work with, as you talked about partners, I think that's great. It's like, you know, we work together. They don't work for me. Even if you're signing the paychecks and taking the entrepreneur risk and have a big loan and all this other stuff, right? You work together. You're working towards those things. But I want to talk a little bit about team. Then I want to move into some tech. And then I want to talk a little bit about marketing and we can then kind of bounce around from there. So with the team, have you thought about like, hey, how do I compensate people? I know Paul Diaz will love this other question. I know you're not like a non-compete person, but you have all these things. Like, how do you go and we'll focus more on the doctor side, I think from a pay perspective there. And it's fine to say, I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. And you don't have to give me like, Hey, they're going to make exactly this amount. But have you thought about like, how do I best position them for success, make it make business sense, and then also encourage them? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> me trying to <laughs> find a clinic that I wanted to work at with a balance of finances and also not feeling like I was going to be chained to this place legally. I probably interviewed at at least 10 places, which was absolutely annoyingly exhausting by the end of it. But it was worth it because I found a clinic who I don't have a non-compete. I don't have any kind of restrictive covenants like that. And I have a base salary with production. 
on top of that. So I think I would probably offer my associates the same thing that I was offered at my clinic because I feel like it took me so long to find somewhere that didn't want to chain me to their clinic that it makes me want to stay even more because I know like almost everywhere else is going to want those legal chains. And I couldn't do that to myself right out of school, especially not knowing if I would actually end up liking this place, which I do. I really like where I work. But I think that's one of the biggest reasons is because I stay because I want to and not because I'm forced to in any way, shape or form. So I think that has a lot to say about where you work and the kind of environment and who else you work with that you found that you're here because you want to be here. And I want my associates to want to work for me, but I also want them to get paid how they should get paid. And I don't think that production makes, especially if you follow the veterinarian code that we all say when we graduate and we get our degree, that I don't think production is a bad thing or a naughty word or anything like that. I think it's rewarding you for working harder, for taking on more cases, for seeing things that maybe other people didn't want to see or, you know, taking that extra appointment. Because as a new grad, I was told so many times that I wouldn't out earn the, well, kind of pathetic salary that they offered me. Honestly, at some places, it was really sad. And at one point I started to believe them because I didn't get a lot of people who wanted to pay production, especially they wanted to wait every quarter, every six months, blah, blah, blah. And who wants to wait that long? You have bills and everything coming up. You're trying to save for your future. You want to get that as soon as possible. The clinic gets paid every day. Why shouldn't you get paid your production at every pay cycle? It's not that hard. So I've already start my second paycheck. I started getting production over my salary, which totally blew me out of the water because I'm still on 30 minute healthy appointments and 45 minute sick appointments. Okay. I'm not running around ragged at this clinic to make that work. And I think it really shows how well they run their business, how well their clients really respect your recommendations. And I think I do tell my clients, you know, when I think something's necessary and when I think something's not necessary. I know what it's like to be a broke college student. I'm not going to try to make you spend all this crazy money if you don't have to. If we need to go one way or the other, that's fine. But I'm always going to tell you like what, if money wasn't an object, what would our plan be? I will always tell you that and then trim down from there. And I also get my production every pay period. So I don't have to wait on it. There's no hidden, negative, accrual, weird junk going on in there either. And that's the only clinic that I found that they were paying me like that. And I was just ecstatic about it because I get to save more for my clinic someday. I get to put a little away for my retirement and investments, especially while I don't have a family. My cost of living is a little bit lower right now than it will be in the future, I'm sure. So I think just offering my associates what I have now actually is really good. And figuring out the health insurance thing, that's a whole nother topic to deal with. But yeah, I think that being able to pay people for what they work for, they should get a piece of it. If they make a million dollars a year for the clinic, they should get 22 to 25% of that. Absolutely. You know, that's a lot of work and a lot of cases that you see every year. And if someone has the time and the want to do it, then all the power to you. But I'd also love to give back to the support staff. And if we have a really good quarter, you know, is there room in the profit margin that I can cut everyone a little bit extra, especially quarter three or 
right before Christmas time, basically, you know, is there anything, you know, is the business doing well? Do we have the room to give people a little extra ahead of the holiday season? I would love to do that because everyone freaks out about Christmas presents and wants to get their family and friends something. So I would love to be able to throw a little bit extra when the business is doing really well and is affluent that we can not only give the doctors what they're worth, but also throw a little bit else to our technicians because they're going to be working just as hard as the doctors are with all these patients. Totally. Two questions from that. With your associates, equity, is that ever on the table? Would you want to have partners or do you want to be a sole owner or is it too early to determine? And then on benefits, again, ideal scenario, which is always fun because ideal scenarios and like perfect world scenarios never happen. Like there's real world constraints at times where it might be, I want to get here, but you know, right now I can't do it. What benefits would you offer? You talked about health insurance. Would it be a retirement plan? Would it be obviously the childcare piece we already touched on, but what all would you want to try to be able to provide them? I think at least when I start, I would be a sole owner because I'm planning on taking out all this risk by myself, right? So, you know, if I'm taking all the risk, then I'm also taking out all the work too. But I think to minimize complications of a startup, starting out on my own at first would be good. And then if I want to add another sector to the business or I want to add a specialty portion or a high functioning, like a critical care unit or whatever, and I find a criticalist and a, an internist or something like that that wants to go but is also a little bit interested in like a partial ownership or some sort of equity in that portion of the business, then that's definitely something I would be open to in the future for sure. For benefits, health insurance is so important. That's probably one of the only things that like I compromised on with the clinic I went to is that I'm not a huge fan of my health insurance plan, but I'm young and healthy. And right now it's really not the biggest of concerns. So I would try to figure out like if I would do like everyone has the same plan or I kind of like the idea of you cover a certain dollar amount or a certain percentage of whatever plan they want. So they bring to you whatever plan and then you give them basically a credit every month for whatever they pay for. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And then the retirement, I would imagine, I know you mentioned that even for yourself right now. Like I know that's important just in our conversations that you want to make sure that someday people don't have to work forever for you, that they can maybe someday retire Mm -hmm. or go do something else that they have a passion for. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely offering a 401k through your employer. It might not be able to offer a match right away. You know, that's kind of expensive when you have to offer it to everybody. And as a startup, you not might not be able to, but at least if you have a 401k option that people can elect to put money away into, that can really lower your tax burden. It takes, you know, 19500 off of your income made every year. So if you're a really high earner, the clinic, it can save you a lot of taxes and it can also save you a lot of money for the future, honestly. And I think encouraging people to, if they don't want a 401k to do a Roth IRA, that's a lot less money every year, but it's tax-free when you take it out, you know, and a little bit lower of a goalpost to say, I'm going to fulfill my IRA every year because a 401k might not be able to hit all that. Or if I fill my IRA, then I'll go fill my 401k. So kind of taking it from benefits and thinking through a couple other areas technology. And I'm not going to try to pin you down and be like, Hey, so what PIMS provider are you going to use in in 24 months? Like all that stuff. But when you think about like, Oh, these type of things are super important for 
how I want our service level to be. I think that would be interesting. And you maybe have a little bit of that. Again, you've been in the location you're at for a little bit, but if you work at multiple places or as you've shadowed and explored things, you're going to know, like, I want to make sure that we have this feature or I really want this feature. I've not seen it yet. Like, hey, go develop it, please. And hopefully it's ready for you. But when you think about that, what's most important to you in the way that you service clients and how that PIMS would operate within the, the clinic? I think having a really well-managed some sort of mobile app along with the client software that really works well together where they can get their pets like history. So if they need to go boarding or they need to prove whatever, for whatever reason that their pet has X, Y, and Z, or they need to go to an emergency hospital and they need their records, it's going to be on their phone. If they're going to a specialty referral and forgot to ask us to send their records, they can email it from their phone. Yeah, I don't know like how many times we get asked to send and receive records all the time, but it's a pain in the tuchus. So to be able to have people have like the synopsis of their pet's record available to them would be great. Um, I love the texting, emailing feature that we have at my clinic so we don't have to physically call everyone because that it's just we have too many clients to be on the phone all day long. So little updates and things like that is great. Being able to track each individual so we know who's inputting what, you know, like everyone signs everything so we know who's editing the record where and having like a workflow board too. So, you know, with your inpatients, like who's there, who's the technician, who is responsible for this patient, the doctor, the nurses or techs with them. Where are they in the hospital? Are they in surgery? Are they in recovery? So, so you have a quote unquote eye on every patient in the clinic at all times is super important. And to just really have a platform that is just easy for people to learn. If it looked like my iPhone, I wish it looked like my iPhone because that's, you know, probably the simplest phone for anyone to learn. I want a platform that works I want my phone to work with my iPad, with my watch, with, I want it to be that seamless integration with whatever platform I choose, because we're probably going to use iPads in the rooms or, you know, walking around in treatments so we can have everything digital. So I don't have to worry about where papers are or losing papers. That shouldn't be a problem I have in 2020, whatever <laughs> it is when I open a clinic, having everything paperless and just synchronous throughout every computer, cloud-based, something like that would be great. Absolutely. And then you talked about calls and not having to call everyone. I know there's a lot of hospitals and we have some clients that, that do this well. Would you want to do the outsource for a lot of calls, share it? Would you want someone in office? I've heard the case made for one, the other, a blend. Thoughts on that? Or is it too early to determine? Well, I think I've only worked at places that have like an in-house reception, but I think if you had a way for, you know, if some of your techs needed to work from home or your receptionist wanted or needed to work from home for some reason, or you found someone that was a really good candidate, but they can't give you the hours in person, but they'd be able to work from home. So they are a caregiver for a family member, or whatever the case might be, that you are able to have them get some of the phone calls and be able to be on a computer or an iPad and still answer all the questions and internal messaging. So like every area in the hospital will have its own chat. So if you're in that area of the hospital, 
you can chat to different areas of the hospital so you can all talk to each other at the same time, like an internal chat group. And whoever is at home answering home reception is able to utilize those chats also and be able to figure out information. So it's like a pseudo in house. So they're not quite as far removed as maybe a third party outsourcing, but they don't necessarily have to be in the reception area of the clinic. Is there a piece of technology, a system, a process, whatever, that maybe exists, doesn't exist, that you would love to see that would be like, hey, from this other industry, can we bring that to vet med because this would be so great? Anything top of mind? The only thing I know is the platforms that I won't be using, but I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not gonna name those right now. Yeah, yeah, sure. No shade no, for no. those. <laughs> um, I just know the ones that I've used and I don't like, and I know the ones that I'm like, oh, I could do a, quite a bit of finagling with this to make it a lot better. No, I haven't found any platform that I think is perfect. I think some of them have their strengths and weaknesses and they all do a little bit better at one thing than the other. So that's something that I'll definitely have to do a lot of demos of, but it's hard until you use it every day and you do the ins and outs of the program that you really figure out if you like it. So it would be nice when I start the clinic and it's not 10 doctors and 50 staff that if I don't like the first program I choose, I'll just change it. Yeah. It's a pain. And I think you said took us earlier. So I love that. So I'm going to say it again to change those things. So you want to be very careful. And again, with you understand that you want to grow, you don't want to pick a solution that works really well for a small clinic that can't scale to get bigger. So you have to like start with the end in mind. And I think that's always something that I try to encourage people when they're thinking about whether it is a de novo, I'm going to acquire, but I want to change it. Pick the tools and tech and the the processes and the train, like build it however you need to build it for what you want in the future. Not yeah, where it's especially at with pricing. And I think this because a lot of them yeah, like same. like same. there's platforms yeah, that will have one flat price for you know 500 users, and then there's other platforms that charge you like more than three doctors is this price, and like eight to 10 doctors is this price. So it goes up with how many users you have on it. So you got to be a little weary of that also, depending on how they charge you. Yep. And I think it, does it make you more efficient and don't be afraid to spend money in spots that can make you more efficient? Cause like, are you trying to save a couple hundred dollars a month, but it's going to cost you thousands of dollars an hour of salaries and missed production or missed other things. And it's like, it's hard to know that for sure. And this is not me trying to score one for people that are overcharging for something, but it's like, you want to make sure like if it's really good, they should charge for it. Cause if it's going to save you time, that's the one thing that we all can't get exactly. back. And as you talked about in the future with family and other things, like you want to get home to things that are outside of just veterinary medicine. And I yeah. know that's a challenge. Yeah. And being a well-oiled machine is so important. I really try to get my team out on time every day. I don't like running late and I've noticed that when I'm the only doctor that's on until the nighttime, everyone gets really excited because they're like, oh, we know Shannon's going to get us out on time and we're going to be able to go home and have dinner. And I think that's super important if that's the kind of environment you're in in a general practice where you close at five or six or whatever time that you actually hold true to that time and that you, you know, send people to other resources if it's going to be something that will make you stay three hours late on a Tuesday and someone doesn't get to see their daughter's soccer game and you're not in an emergency room. Is that something you really should be seeing? It's up to personal preference, but 
there has to be a line somewhere where you you don't run your team into the ground. And I think that a lot of times has a big factor in it is that sometimes doctors don't know how to say no or when to use their colleagues as a resource when they're open and they're paid to be there for that time period. And you're supposed to be going home and sending your staff home to go be with their families at night then they should be able to go do that. They shouldn't expect to, you know, oh, I'm going to be here one, two, three hours late every day because then they're not going to want to work there. They're not going to look forward to getting there because who knows what time they'll be able to go home. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then in a roundabout way, circling back, but thinking about technology is like, how are you training people, especially if you're growing? And how can you make it where everyone's going to go through a similar process and not, well, so-and-so train that person and -and so-and-so train that person and they're doing it variations. And that's super hard. It's easy to say, but it is really hard. But like trying to build out a person or two, or they do this training and it's the same way because they're the best at it, or this person does training because they are the best at that. And then having a way to document it, whether it's a video, whether it's written, however, but I think getting, especially if you know you want to grow and bring on other people, how can you make sure your training is locked in? And again, that's easy to say, hard to do. I think really I'd have to probably scour the internet and see what other people are using for their training protocols, for their assistants, for their receptionists, for their technicians. I know a technician I work with now teaches a class at a community college. So that's probably something I'd reach out to her and say, when you have a brand new technician that's really, or a brand new vet assistant that wants to become a technician, where do you start them? How do you track their progress? And how do you know when they're ready to go do something? So I think really utilizing the people that have been teaching before and then really providing a framework of this is what you should have learned. These are the um, skills that you need to work on and have some sort of system that, you know, oh, your vet assistant level one or two or three and your pay scale reflects that number also, you know, depending on how much you are able to complete and how efficient you are in the clinic and what skills you can provide to the clinic. Just kind of like a Penn Foster, I think, does this, where whoever's in school, they have to perform it in front of either a doctor or a CVT, and they have to sign off on it that you did it adequately. So it would be certain milestones that would have to get signed off on that you could then move up to the next level. So proving that you can handle these extra responsibilities and these extra tasks in the clinic. And I think that would be a really good way to help people also get some career advancement also. So once you get to a certain level of technician, like you have to get certified or registered or accredited, whichever CVT, RVT that your state has to get to the next level. And then after that, there can be a couple levels of CVTs and then there can be the specialist CVTs. So there can be a whole range of steps that people can go through. You just have to make sure that the framework is solid and that you are comfortable with the milestones that you set for each level for people to move through the ranks. Yeah, I would say one tool that we've used, and again, this is non-veterinary, but Notion is a really good tool for kind of being like a second brain for us at Vincere that we've used for trying to store like a process or training where you can put video, you can put attachments outside URLs, you can do all kinds of different things, PDFs you can put in there. You can do all kinds of different things to help teach and train and it's worked well for us where it's kind of that like repository for stuff 
for training and it's searchable. So like if you wanted to search in it and it's like, Hey, this feels really big, you can narrow it down by search to find it. So that's one tool that I like we've used and my partner does a lot of the work on building it all out and, and maintaining it, which it can kind of be an unruly monster if you let it. But if you do a good job at trying to keep it clean and structured and organized, I think it can be a really, really nice tool. That sounds like a really awesome thing just to have somewhere to put all of it. <laughs> That's also a challenge to keep track. Yeah. And you can restrict access to certain areas or make it fully open again to make sure that people can get to where they need to, but not into stuff they don't need to, like if that makes sense. But we'll move and and I know we are getting closer to time and we could have like hours and hours and hours of these conversations. You've done an awesome job at marketing. I think you know a lot about like, hey, how does this marketing thing work by stuff you've done with Vet Candy? You've put out content yourself. How do you think about marketing what you're going to do as an owner and saying, hey, community, world, local community, like come to me. This is why we're better. This is why you should come work with us. I think part of it is going to be, does the community know anyone that is going to be working there at the clinic? Do you have any sort of history with the doctors or the staff? Like, are they already known or is everyone brand new? It kind of dictates how you approach, how you market your clinic and just being able to really put your best foot forward in the way that you show the individuality of your clinic and why it's so nice to drop your pet off and go have a latte and relax in one of our chairs and get some work done while your pet is getting vaccines and nail trim and whatever else they need. And then when they're ready, I just actually thought of this, but you know, the little restaurant things that buzz, the little red lights that buzz off when your table's ready Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to almost have something like that. So when your pet is ready, you know, you just have a little buzzer and then you can go pick them up and it's just a different experience. When you come to our clinic, the, the environment is different. It's relaxing. Your pet feels more comfortable here. You know, the people at the front desk, it'll be just think having an open house too is going to help with marketing and being able to have the community there like throw an event like a opening event with an adoption or you know something that you can invite more of the community into you can get brand new clients if they adopt patients that day you can have educational seminars running in part of your clinic like really have a big outreach either day or weekend or whatever planned so that you can really get people to come by, get to know you, get to see the place. Because as much marketing as you put out, it's nothing like actually going to a brick and mortar if that's what you're trying to open. And then getting the content from those events and sending those out and having that real content that people can relate to and they can see their friends or their family going there and how happy they are and their pets get to go there. And we have a lot of pets with Instagrams now. So having like a photo op area for them to show their friends and family, having that marketing as well, that person to person marketing of just saying, Hey, I saw so-and-so at this new clinic. Like, what did you think? And word travels really fast that way. I love it. And I think you can be creative and think of it like you're opening any other service business. It doesn't have to be, Hey, this is a veterinary hospital. Like how does a restaurant open? How does a new like retail boutique open? How do these other places open and drive kind of a buzz to go see things? And yeah, make it fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, there's going to be a big event. It could be like an exclusive event this day or a big public event this day. So if you want like 
potential business partners to come through or people that you're thinking of working with when you expand to come through one night and see everything done. And then you have like a family fun weekend at your clinic. If you have enough space outside, I think that would be a really awesome thing because people always love bringing their kids to get their face painted and learn about animals, bring their pets, whatever type of events you want to have. Yep. Paid advertising. Do you like that idea? Do you not like that idea? How would you think about it? And it's fine to say, I don't know. I would probably hire someone that's a professional to do it. <laughs> I probably would hire a professional. I have a little bit of experience with Google, like search engine optimization and ad targeting, like geolocation wise. And I think if you target the correct ads through the correct venues, then you can get a pretty good return on your investment as long as you're strategic about where you're advertising. And I think nowadays you can be extremely strategic with where and who you target based on location, age range, you know, all these things. What else are they searching for? You can put a whole bunch of tags that your content will show up in these timelines or whatever that they're looking at. So I think there's definitely a lot that you can do. I wouldn't probably have a huge, well, I'd have an initial big marketing push, I think, and then probably tone it down just to like a maintenance level after maybe the first month or two, depending on what traffic is. You know, if you do a huge push at the beginning and you get absolutely slammed and you're already booked out for two months, like, okay, I'm going to turn that down a little bit. Like that was the best response I could have gotten, but we can't handle this. So, you know, and if it's not as great of a big rush as we thought, then maybe we'll keep it on for a little bit longer until we're full and then turn it up a little more when we add another doctor or we add another service and then always keep a little bit in the background, just kind of pushing out because the more people see you, the more they're going to want to go into the clinic. Yep. One that I think is not utilized a lot that could be really valuable is Nextdoor that not many people I think are using a lot of, but people use Nextdoor. It's hyper-localized. So why not be the local vet that's on there? And the ad spend, it's pretty cheap. So there's some sneaky alpha here at the end of the podcast for those that <laughs> stuck around. I would check out Nextdoor. I'm not a marketing guru expert, but it is hyper-localized. So it fits perfectly for a privately owned practice. And the pricing is really affordable. Yeah. Cause that's like where you have your, just your neighborhood, right? Something like mm -hmm. that. And so you can just target the neighborhoods around where the clinic is and you can do a decent size area as well. But to pool, especially early, if you don't have brand recognition or no one knows who you are, it's an easy way to get out in front of people and maybe advertise for that event too. be like, Hey, we're having this new event. Come check us out. <laughs> yes. And have like bandanas and, you know, Frisbees and stickers. So, you know, people yeah. start walking around with your name. Merch. On. Yes. I think merch. having merch and having a little bit of a, even a store or giveaway. Yeah. That to me is smart. Again, as much as you might not like me saying this and I give the credit to, oh my gosh, I just spaced on the name. Ah, uh, I, yeah. Anyways, it's someone else's idea that's been on the podcast that the name is escaping me, but it is a service business and you are competing with where people are spending money on service businesses. So make it feel good, make them enjoy the experience and they need it, but they can also, you know, to switch from one veterinarian to another. There's not a huge switching cost there. So you need to attract them and then retain them and make it a, a great quality service. Yeah, absolutely. Have a merch store, have like a monthly giveaway. Like if you had an appointment this month, you're automatically thrown into the hat for winning this basket of whatever it is, dog products or freebies that you get from your uh, drug reps and stuff like that. Whatever you can put together for that month, just advertise it. If like you have an appointment this month, you automatically get 
thrown in for this raffle, this prize for this month. So, or, you know, a next free appointment or something or whatever that service might be, or you get like a free coffee at my coffee bar while you wait, something like that. It just makes people excited and it makes them really pay attention to your clinic and what you're doing. And maybe they want a sweatshirt with your name on it. Cause I'm going to have a really cool logo. Like, you know, Apple by Apple, you know, Nike by the swoosh, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi by their emblems. So why wouldn't I have just a catchy emblem also that looks really good on merch? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the other thing with those baskets and ideas of giveaways, work with local businesses that are doing stuff, whether it's the, the restaurant that you like, the coffee shop, the whatever, right? The car wash place, just do something and build those brands in relationship with those people too, because A, they might become clients, but then they also are going to be like, oh, this is cool that you want to support us. And I think that's a cool way to do it too. But yeah, I think going back, thinking on the marketing side, everyone's so slammed and so busy right now. I think marketing sometimes is getting a backseat. So yeah, you don't need to like burn money just to say, no, you can't come here for three months, but you need to think of marketing in a lot of different ways for how it can be perceived. Yeah, absolutely. Or even just attending your local community events could be all the marketing you do and just show the community that you're there and that what services you provide and just make sure that you're active in your local area. And that's all you might need to do. Sponsoring the T-ball team. Are you getting a bunch of people from that? No, but it's goodwill. And there's gonna be certain people that appreciate that. And especially if you have kids doing that stuff, it's like, why not? I want to protect your time because I know we're right a little over time. I wanted to kind of just give you a last bit to talk about something if we haven't covered it yet. So we kind of covered you know, initial thought, the feeling, the team, some of the technology, thinking about marketing. There's so much more. And I know we didn't get through everything, but is there anything you want to kind of round out the conversation with and share as far as how you are thinking about ownership into the future and just kind of aspirations there? I think ownership is really on the forefront of my mind because I don't want to be on a hamster wheel. I want to be able to build something, to create something. I find joy in building something that's bigger than me. And being able to provide a great place for other people to work because all the places I've ever been like, oh, this is great, but we could do some things better. And sometimes the people that are the owners or whoever's at the top, it falls on deaf ears. And I don't want to work at a place like that forever or be stuck in a place where everything falls on deaf ears. So I just feel like I could do it a lot newer in a new way with some fresh voices, fresh marketing and people there just create a really good environment that creates a legacy and some financial freedom, hopefully for not just me, but the other doctors and the whole team that works there. Because when you do good work and you see a lot of clients and you do a lot of good for the community, then that's what you just get that in return automatically. You don't have to worry about the money. The money will come if you do things right. Yeah. I love that. I've said that many times. I completely agree. And sometimes it might not be as fast as you think. And I think one key thing is, and I said this at the SEPS thing as well, is like the comparison is the thief of joy. Just because the big Instagram influencer veterinarian that opened up the same time you did and they're blowing up and you're a little slower, that's okay. Because if you're comparing yourself to the person that is the rock star on top of rock star, you might be really successful and you're still like, oh, well, they're doing better than me. So just always try to keep it in perspective of you know, run your own race, do your thing. Exactly. And if and you're proud in different of, areas, so it's yeah, fine. And if you're <laughs> proud of what you're doing, that is extremely meaningful. But Shannon, thank you 
so much for coming back on the podcast. Always great to chat with you. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. For those that want to kind of follow along, do you want to plug anywhere that you're hanging out, sharing content, doing things? Yeah, you can find me at Dr. Shannon DVM on all the platforms. TikTok, not that active, but I do have one. (laughs) Maybe I'll get better at it if I get a little more into that. But yeah, at Dr. Shannon DVM. And then I'm really active on at my pet candy and my vet candy. You can find me writing articles and um, even on a couple of those magazines. So check us out. We have a lot of awesome free CE for you all to get your requirements done. And it's fun. So I think that's all the plug I have today. And uh, watch out for my clinic coming hmm, circa 2025 question mark all right we yeah we are speaking it into existence with a question mark but 2025 you can you can listen back to it in the summer of 24 as you're really starting to nail some stuff down and we'll see how close it was right yeah right you'll probably (laughs) be on episode like 383 and i'm going all the way back to 150 (laughs) thank you thank you and we'll talk soon all right sounds good thank you so much isaiah Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.